Okay. Um, so I'm going to slowly begin, and if people come in, it's no problem. Um, I have planned today to do some talking, so I'll talk a bit about myself and a bit about meditation and the mind and how all this stuff works, and then, um, and then we'll do a meditation together also at some point. Um, so yeah, maybe first we can just go around and people can say their names just so we know who we're sitting here with. So I'm Seth. Hi. Janine. Emily. Emily. Cynthia. Erica. And who wins the award for driving the farthest here today? It, it may be me. Yes, yeah. I think. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Hour hour and fourteen. from Boston it took me less than an hour actually okay. it's a nice drive please yeah. yeah so I think it's my first time to Plymouth so we were mm -hmm. yeah I know so that's why I want to go see the stone I don't know the actual Mayflower the Mayflower yeah. hangs out oh, in oh, the yeah. harbor yeah. Yeah. really yeah. no kidding it's beautiful where come back I guess now I have to yeah Hall up on the up on the hill. What's that's the museum, isn't it up there? No, not from all the condos now. No, the, the big condos. They used. To, oh my, I haven't been here in a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's oh. not the museum anymore. That's yeah. a beautiful little park on the right too. That's yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Statue. Who from Plymouth? Oh, are you from Plymouth? Yep. So who's Rooster Gardens? Is that? Oh, that's lovely. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beyond the rock on the right. So I guess when it's warmer, I'll probably come mm -hmm. back to see mm -hmm. the Mayflower and yeah. to see that. September, October, it's beautiful. It's coming yeah, okay. Sold. Mm -hmm. um, so before I begin, just out of curiosity, has anybody here never meditated? No? You told me you meditate on your own. You told me you meditate. I, I meditate. I, I, I heard the wrong. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so next question. Who's an expert meditator? <laughs> um, okay. So my name is Seth. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm originally from Andover, Massachusetts, which is, I think, also about an hour and 14 minutes away, more or less. Um, when I graduated college, when I finished my time at university, I took a a non-traditional career move and I went to Germany and I went into a Buddhist monastery and so I was 22 yeah. and I ordained as a Buddhist monk so I lived there for eight years in this monastery so pretty much my whole 20s um, were are gone I've lost them um, so my whole 20s were spent there at the monastery and yeah, you know, so real monk, so robe, no hair, um, following kind of these precepts, you know, no killing, no lying, no stealing, no drugs, no alcohol, um, no sexual contact. And then also we had, um, you know, every morning at 5 in the morning, you know, or 5.30, we had meditation classes, or sorry, meditation, just meditation, um, and some chanting. And then, you know, we had a pretty structured day with breakfast and lunch. And we had people that would come and stay with us also, so it was very... You know, you really had to keep to these times, and 
we also had a Chinese medicine center, traditional Chinese medicine. Oh, cool. So I was also doing like massage for a while, and then I learned a little bit of, about acupuncture. And, um, yeah, and school groups would come in, so I also would do, sometimes I would lead the school groups, and then I kind of started moving up in the world, so then I started like leading a meditation once a week, and then um, started then leading retreats myself, and then helping to organize things. And so kind of, um, yeah, all these different, however one could say it, tasks or jobs, you know, I learned how to cook and clean and all sorts of things like this. Um, so in 2014, I left, ended up leaving, and I traveled to India. And I was in India for six months at that time, so I traveled around all of the Buddhist holy places, um, and I also went into Sikkim, which is kind of like in between Nepal and Bhutan, so it's kind of this little piece of India that goes up. And... Uh, you know, I did a retreat in a cave there for my birthday and like meditated on a charnel ground and you know, did the whole monk thing. And, um, and after that, I went to Australia after those six months for three months to a monastery there and really deepened my practice. Um, there's a monk there, Achan Brahm, and he's just an amazing meditation master. It's in the Thai forest tradition. So the way they have it set up is that there are these kind of huts in the outback, and you would go and you just... But, you know, I think there's breakfast at 5 in the morning, lunch at 11, and there's no dinner. And the times in between, you're just by yourself. So you, for maybe two or three hours a day, you, you have kind of people around. And the rest of the time, you're just alone in this hut, you know, and you're just facing the outback with the kangaroos and things like this. Um, which, you know, was the, the best of times and the worst of times. Is you could imagine just kind of being alone for that long, you know. Um, so then I, I came back here to Boston in 2014, uh, towards the end of the year, um, and I gave a couple talks at Andover High School, so where I'm from, and then I went to MIT and through just interesting events ended up leading some, some little workshops for the students at MIT. Um, but I felt that somehow my, my process or my path was incomplete. So I bought a ticket and went back to India. And pretty much my first day there, so I guess my third day there, um, I disrobed. So I took my robe and I just left it. And I really felt, um, yeah, that I wasn't any more interested to be inside of this form, this monk form, with the way that it looks and the way that it needs to be in the world. And, you know, realize that, that the Buddha, you know, they, they created this form to practice in, and if I wasn't interested to follow that form, then I shouldn't be a monk anymore like that. So I, so I disrobed, and then I spent um, a further eight months in India traveling from south to north India as uh, a normal person, letting my hair grow out, as I say. Um, and this was a really powerful, amazing time. I also visited a lot of ashrams and, you know, also the farthest things from ashrams, so kind of like the party centers in India and things. So just did the whole experience, you know, just took it all in. And then, um, and then went back to Australia for a little bit, just because it's nice to go around the world like that, you know. Hmm. And then I came back here at the end of 2015. Um, and, yeah, so then I came back and I landed kind of at my parents' house, you know, 10 years later now. <laughs> um, and kind of, yeah, just after being on this, you know, living many lifetimes, I guess one could say, right? And, um, yeah, really is trying to see how do I want to take this, what I've learned, how do I 
want to bring this into society or, or what do I have to offer? How can that look? So, um, so I started teaching at you know, yoga studios and through the town, through town programming and stuff like this. And then I also started going into schools and teaching in schools, um, doing things for students and you know, after school things or coming into some classrooms. And this kind of um, grew a little bit. So now this is actually kind of one of the things that I do is some schools actually have me come in on a regular basis and lead meditation in the classrooms for the students. And also in Andover, I just led a retreat for the teachers. So I led a weekend faculty retreat, which was super powerful. And they, and it was with the principal and, you know, 14 teachers, about a little less than half of their faculty. And now they want to really implement it in their school on a more fundamental level for the students. And even talked about having maybe silent mornings, right? That it's silent the whole morning when people come in. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of this thing that I'm doing is bringing meditation, understanding into the world, into our society, right? After, I feel like I was down in this mine, right? Like harvesting away and getting little gems and filling this little bag that was hanging on my side. And now I've kind of climbed back out. Now I can like show people these things that I found over these years. Um, so I also, you know, I've met the Dalai Lama a bunch of times and Thich Nhat Hanh, if any of you know who he is. And, meditated. I went to Plum Village for two months and I spent some time with him and his community. So I, you know, I really have a very well-rounded Buddhist education, I guess we could say. Um, and lots of stories of all of these different places and people, as I'm sure you can imagine. So maybe some of them will come out, I don't know. Um, yeah, which kind of more or less brings me to now, right? So like I was saying, um, to a couple of you that I actually just got back from India yesterday, so I went back again um, to, um, to lead a group. So as I've been teaching meditation, and I also learned a form of energy healing while I was in India in 2015, so I started giving group healings. Um, a lot of people, after hearing my story, said, wow, that sounds amazing, and I'd love to go to India, and I'd love to see these things you've seen. And I kind of decided to call everybody on their bluff and make a make a trip to India that people can come on. Um, so it was this 10-day trip through India, and I had um, so, so seven people from the area came. And I went through Rajasthan, so it's a little south of, of Delhi, and there's a lot of desert and stuff. I went to the Taj Mahal and a tiger sanctuary and the Rat Temple and to Rindavan where Hare Krishna is. and So just all of these really amazing places. Um, it was really a whirlwind of different experiences. And, you know, they had camels and elephants and everything you can imagine. Did it change their lives? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everybody, everybody. So m- many people reported back that it was a life-changing experience for them. And I think a lot of people went on the trip also because they felt like they were ready to change something. And this was somehow a catalyst for that to kind of happen and, and go through. Um, and, yeah, again, we just got back yesterday, so it's still kind of... So I just, you know, went home and just crashed for, you know, 14 hours, just slept, and then woke up this morning and said, oh, yeah, I have to go to Florida. <laughs> Got in my car for the first time, kind of drove, and it feels really weird, but it was fine. Um, so, yeah, so forgive me if I fall asleep somehow during this. <laughs> my time's backwards. Um, yeah, so I'm also leading another trip in August, actually, for 10 days, and I'm going to start in... Uh, Kathmandu in Nepal, and then we're going to go down into India. So Dharamsala, where the Dalai Lama is, and Amritsar, which is the Sikh capital, and, you know, see some things like that. So if anybody thinks they might want to go in August, that's open. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the talk today, or this 
workshop, I guess it's called, yeah. It's entitled uh, How to Meditate Like a Monk. Um, and yeah, I have a lot of information about this. I also want to lead us in a guided meditation, right? Um, so you can also experience this. So It's nice to get a conceptual understanding of what's going on, but then when you meditate and you really touch the practice with your own experience, you're like, oh, okay, that's what this is about. Okay, so it kind of creates a whole other level to it. Um, I think before I begin, I'll even ask if anybody has any questions. Because if I know what you're interested to hear about, it can also dictate a little bit the direction that I can talk about things. And I'm sure you're all here for a reason, even if it's just out of curiosity, but you know, you could have gone to transpersonal Reiki from the universe, abundance things upstairs or something, but you're here, so. Yeah, so if there's anything in specific you want to know about, whether about me or whether about meditation or the mind or practice or your things you're coming up against in your own, yeah, life or spiritual journeys, um, feel free to just throw that out and then I can... I have a question. Please, yeah. I mean, the fourth state in, in, the, in, the, in the consciousness is the, called the Thurya state, which is the uh, fully on a meditative state, I would say. Do you experience that often when you do meditation? In which school uh, is this? Uh, the fourth state, they call it. In which school? Uh, you mean, you, mean in the, you have the waking up in a normal, normal waking up state, and then there's mm -hmm. a sleeping state, and there's a deep sleeping state, mm -hmm. and then there's a fourth, which is the Turiya in, in, in Sanskrit, they said Turiya. In English, it is called fourth state, which is you are conscious of mm -hmm. everything, but you are not in a normal state. That's a complete... Altered state. Um, you know, I don't... What, what, what's the word you, you use for that? I don't know. Uh, do you experience that when you do meditation? Well, I am not sure what the Turiya state is. I've never heard of this. Is this a Buddhist understanding, or is this from no, a different Sanskrit. philosophy? Sanskrit's a language. Is it... Yeah. So is it Veda? Is it Hindu? Is it... It's Hinduism, but it's the same in Buddhism. It's the same thing. So in Buddhism, we don't have that terminology, so I'm not sure if what I experience is the same as that. But when I go into meditation, it is definitely a bit of an altered an state, altered state from this. Yes. But also, I would say it's more like it's a more refined state. Because when I've reached the deepest states of meditation, the place that I reach actually feels very familiar, and it feels like it's actually what's happening all the time behind this state. So it's not like I'm going somewhere else, but it's almost that all of this state kind of, whether dissolves or collapses back into this more fundamental place, if that makes any sense. Um, if that answers your question a little bit. But yeah, if there's anything else, and I can also just gather, I can just field bits of questions and piece it all together in a tapestry afterwards. So my question would be, um, I, I meditate periodically, mm -hmm. and how do you make that jump to really make it part of your daily, mm. daily life? Because yeah. I get too busy doing things. Okay. Okay, we can talk about that. Yeah, good. Okay. What else? I think life in general, like you can, I can have a lot of chaos, a lot on my plate. <coughs> so, part of me, as an escape, more mm. than a spiritual practice, it's how I used, in the 70s, that's what I would do, to escape it. Yeah. 
I would meditate mm. rather than embrace the meditation itself. So now mm. I think um, there's a flip, you know, where I want to do that. I want to be inside. I want all that to dissolve out there so that I can stay. I always used to say, well, I'm mm. not a monk because I have too many distractions. And yeah. um, I always thought well, it would be so nice to be a monk mm. and not have distractions and then they could do it every day so I guess it's just how you bring it into a busy life like you said you know mm -hmm. so that you can incorporate that and start from that place so that you're not mm -hmm. like that all the time okay you know what I mean of course yeah. okay yeah what else yeah do um monks do they have um do they have like in a meditation I don't want to say believe but do they believe in guide, you know, guide, spirit guides? Because when I meditate, that's why I meditate, to mm -hmm. get in touch with them. Mm -hmm. I don't know, is that part of the practice for that, or is it just, you know? Okay, I'll, I'll talk about it. You guys are creating the talk right now. With your vision, so. <laughs> what um, lineage did you, um, or do you practice with faith from? I guess mm -hmm. I don't know how to word it, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, well, I guess I'll say I was curious how when you were speaking with Hashish, about, well, with everybody, but about like sort of, I don't remember the words, but like some metaphor about like the wide expansiveness and then coming into center, mm -hmm. because I have like different experiences with both. Mm -hmm. And I've, I suppose what I'd say is like I've done a lot of meditation, but through sort of different channels. I haven't mm -hmm. like evolved in one practice, you know, yeah. like through like um, Kundalini and Kripalu meditations, and I've done, you know, Alpha States, and um, I've also used, there's an app that I like called Insight Timer, and mm -hmm. I've done my own meditations. I also like the binaural beats. So I've kind of been, I guess, a jack-of-all-trades with meditation, mm -hmm. um, but I'm always looking to go deeper. And as both of you had mentioned, I think it's, like, interesting aspects of sort of the same thing about, like, for me... I'd like to make meditation a big part of my daily practice and not just as an escape, but as like actually like a spiritual commitment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so it seems like we've got like a <laughs> thrust. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have one more question. Okay. Um, Sorry, only one per person. All right. <laughs> no, okay, go ahead. So in the last couple of years, I don't know if it's age or what, but mm -hmm. I've had uh, greater difficulty with sleeping through the whole night insomnia. Mm. So what I've been using are meditative tapes mm. before going to bed okay. and yoga nidra. Mm. Mm. Yes. Do you have anything else to offer? I'm mm. happy to hear. I heard NyQuil is good. Yeah, make sure you get the right one. Okay. Um, so first of all, Vietnamese Zen Buddhism. Yeah, so it's a Vietnamese Zen monk. So actually, Thich Nhat Hanh, like the same lineage. Yeah, he wasn't my teacher, but my teacher and him like practiced together, you know, the generation before me, so to say. Um, so Vietnamese Zen. The thing about being a monk, um, you know, as much as there's a lot of distractions and a lot of kind of things cut off just by being a monk, being in that form. You can distract yourself all day long with anything. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, yes, monks have it easier. On the other hand, 
it's an inner decision to really face yourself or to distract yourself. There was a lot of people that their way of running away from life is to go to a monastery. There's a lot of people that their way of running away from themselves is to go to a monastery. Yeah. So don't think just because someone doesn't have any hair and they're wearing a robe, they're somehow in a better place. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just, yeah, it's important to say that that the form of a monk was created to, um, to maximize that, that, to streamline the process of practice. Yeah, so it really streamlines that, that process when you're practicing. But it's also easy just to lose yourself in that and to not really move forward and make progress. Um, so it seems that people want to know about getting Buddhism into their, no, sorry, meditation into their daily life. Um, and kind of the, the, the monastic um, education that I received, we were really encouraged not to separate the two things. So again, when I practiced with Thich Nhat Hanh, everything he did was meditative, literally. Like I would wake up for the meditations in the morning and I would get out of my hut, you know, it's still kind of dark, it's in France, and walking on this kind of gravel pathway to the meditation hut with like the lights on, you see it's kind of glowing in the distance and you see like the kind of shadows of the other people slowly making their way. And every now and then I would just, there's one shadow that would, you know, be flanked by two smaller shadows. And it would just be kind of really slowly approaching the meditation hall. And I knew, oh, that's Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, because he always has his attendants with him. And I would sometimes just stop and kind of just watch his shadow kind of slam and go and maybe like walk behind him and be like, well, I'm walking behind Thich Nhat Hanh. That's, that's cool. You know. Um, but even when he eats, even when he eats, you know, he doesn't talk while he eats. He's just very, you know, sit there with his bowl and he just... So he slows things down a lot so that he can really be mindful of each step, right? So he's mindful of picking up the food. He looks in the bowl. He sees the piece he wants. He's mindful of picking it up. He lifts it up. He looks at it, puts it in his mouth, tastes it. You know, so he's really kind of mindful of all the little steps. He um, seems to me that he really, one could say, creates a life he doesn't need a vacation from, one could say. So he really seems to be living his life in a way that is, is very present, it's very easeful, um, and he really appreciates the individual things that he's doing, right? He doesn't take things for granted. So his teachings also really encourage us to fill yourself with a lot of joy and a lot of appreciation just for the little things, because appreciation, it's a mindset. Even you could just appreciate zippering, you know, it's just like, sound of the zipper. So I, he actually invited me one night over to his, his hermitage for dinner. It's this really special um, yeah, moment. And I come over to his hermitage and he's sitting on the deck and, um, and, I, and he, you know, his attendants motioned and I sit down next to him and he's just kind of <laughs> you know, just with this like, strange smile on his face, just like looking. And then he said, enjoy the full moon. Like this. And I kind of first look up, and there's no moon. And then, and then I kind of follow his gaze, and he's looking. At the end of the deck, there's just the, a lamp, his deck light. 
which is like a round globe. And he was calling the, the lamp on the deck the full moon. And I was like, oh, like that's quirky and funny. Mm-hmm. Kind of like laughed a little bit. And then I looked over, and he's <laughs> still just looking at it. And I really thought, huh. Because, you know, I, I think you could expect that from an insane person as well, right? So it kind of it threw me off because it was just that moment where I thought, you know, it's not that he was making a joke. It was actually something much deeper and much more kind of poetic, but, but poignant in, in the fact that why not? Why not look at the deck light and enjoy it as a full moon? Why not just enjoy things? Why are we so serious? Or why do we need to go climb the big mountain to see the sunset to then finally appreciate that thing? Why can't we just appreciate the things that are around us? You know, why can't we create a happy mind where we are all the time, actually? And how is that anything different than practicing meditation all the time in terms of you're always really just present and your mind is in a nice state? Yeah. So for the talk, How to Meditate Like a Monk, um, and this is just a topic, it came out of nowhere. Like, I, I didn't know what to talk about. I said I could talk about meditation in schools. I was a monk. I could talk... So that Candida was like, yeah, you know, so I said, okay, whatever. Um, but just what does that mean to meditate like a monk? It also means, you know, well, how, how do monks meditate? What is that really about? What, does a monk meditate different than another person? Like, what's the difference? And the thing is that what a monk ideally is doing is that on one hand, they definitely have a sense of, um, of kind of surrender or... Um, relinquishing of the things around them, they kind of put things down. Right? As a monk, you really don't have much. You don't even have, like, a cool haircut or, like, you know, you just, there's not, I wear the same clothes every day for eight years. You know, you can't even put on, like, a cool new outfit or anything. It's just, there's not much to do. So you really learn just to kind of let things go. So what a monk's really good at, first of all, ideally, is knowing how to let things go, is to really see that, that nothing really belongs to us. So you could think about that statement for a moment. Um, so I, again, coming back from India, I was at the airport and people had these bags. And it seemed like the more bags people had, the more stressed they were. It's interesting how those two things somehow work together. Because the more things that belong to you, the more things you own, the more things you're dragging around, the more weight, first of all, the more literal weight there is. And then the more thought goes in, okay, now this, now I have to move this one. There's more just logistical. But also it adds just another level of mental busyness, mental stress. And actually I said it because I was with one of the women on the trip and she was like, yeah, like the person has a lot of stuff, they're really stressed. And I said, yeah, the more things that you own, the more things that belong to you, the more stress you'll have. Yeah? And she said, I'm happy I only have one suitcase. And I said, yeah, you know it would be better is to have no suitcase. And she's like, oh, then I'd be free. And I said, oh, would you? I said, so nothing else belongs to you? I said, how about that body you're in? You know? How about your thoughts? How about your feelings? Do those belong to you? Because if your thoughts belong to you, you're in trouble. Yeah, so I made a Facebook post a couple months ago. It said, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> yeah. That's good advice. And it's true because we believe everything we think. We think that that's me. That's what I think. Somebody walks in the room, you think, oh, that guy looks like an idiot. You know? <laughs> But why? And maybe you could just let that thought go and then look at that person and say, hi, nice to see you. you know? Or you have something 
to do today and it feels really stressed and oh, I don't want to do that. And then is, is that really, do I have to feel like that? Is that really me that feel like that? Or can I change that? Can I just let that go and say, well, maybe it's not like that. Maybe it'll be fine. You know, why do we take our thoughts to be so important, and so real and so us? You know, and on top of that, even right now, I'm talking to you, yeah? So what's happening? My, my words, right, my ideas are coming into words. My words are entering your ear. Yeah, they're being processed in your brain, right? And then the things that I'm saying now become part of your minds, right? And now you're hearing me. Now you're thinking about me. And then maybe you'll change your opinions about things because of what I've said. So now some of the thoughts that come up in your mind are actually me in your head. You get that? So it's actually my words influencing how you're thinking. So if other people can influence our minds, how many people have we been around in our lifetime that we wouldn't let near our house, we wouldn't let near our kids, we wouldn't let near anything about us, but we've somehow let them into our minds? Think about our parents, right? Jeez. You know, our teachers, whoever. Politicians. You know, advertisers. Yeah, how many people that don't even have our best interests in mind we've let tell us things, we let in. And it's hard. You drive down the street and you see big billboards, right? They put that, we live in an, in an oppressive society in that sense as well, that we're really being bombarded with sound and image and smell and things all the time from people that want nothing more than just our money, for instance. You know, so when you really get into it, a lot of who we are, a lot of who we think and feel we are, it's not really us. It's, it's a composite of many different things. And because we cling to that stuff and we believe so deeply that that's me, that's real, that's, you know, how many times do we fight people about our ideas, right? Same thing. I fight people about my ideas all the time. And then it's the same thing, you know, you kind of realize. When I did the Vipassana, we talked about Vipassana. I did a 10-day Vipassana retreat in Dharamsala, so it's where the Dalai Lama is up in, up in India. Um, and I spent probably the first five days really just fighting with myself because you sit for 10 hours a day for 10 days in silence, right? 10 hours a day, right? Crazy. Um, so about the fifth day, I was like, you know what? This is getting nowhere. My mind's a mess. Like, I said, all right, listen, mind. Like, we're going to do this, all right? Enough fooling around, enough chattering. We're going to meditate, okay? And I sat down. I was like, okay, we're done. Ready? Go. And I closed my eyes. And then my thoughts go, everybody wants kung fu fighting, like this. And I just opened my eyes and I said, that's ridiculous. And I said, it's ridiculous. Because you could tell your mind, it's seriously, like I was really like, all gung-ho, like we're going to now be quiet, meditate. And I sit down and then, boom, start singing. And I said, how stupid and how silly and actually how unimportant are my thoughts because I don't control them. They're not me. I can't stop my thoughts. I can't choose what to think. They do their own thing. They come and they go. I can't do anything about them. And then I just kind of let go and I said, you know what? I don't care if I think anymore. Meditation shouldn't be about fighting your thoughts. You can't stop them, so just let them run and focus on something else. And that's what I did. And eventually the thoughts go away by themselves. Because ultimately you can't stop thinking by trying to stop thinking. You can stop thinking when you're mind becomes content. When you become content, your thoughts relax all by themselves. That a calm, a still mind is actually a byproduct of contentment. So meditation is actually about contentment. 
When you're content, everything else just relaxes and stops by itself. That's how the mind comes to a stop, is because it's so content it doesn't want to go anywhere else. Yeah, and that's how actually meditation works. And then, and then it sinks in, and it starts to concentrate, right? It collects, and it starts to really get deeper. Yeah? So the discontent mind is really busy. And so I could see that when I was trying to meditate because I was forcing myself, I was pushing myself, I was striving and fighting, my mind was unhappy. And so it kept trying to escape into thoughts, into songs, into things. And then I saw, wow, this is really stupid that A, my thoughts are just a byproduct of my emotional state, it seems. And B, I can't control my thoughts. They're not me. They have nothing to do with me. And on the last day of the retreat, the retreat ended, the 10-day Vipassana retreat, it ends. And they give you some time to readjust so you're allowed to talk. Yeah, they give you like a half a day or something where you can then talk. Right? So we started to talk again, and somebody said to me, yeah, you know what, I don't actually think this method works. I think that Goenka doesn't really know what he's talking about and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, I don't think that you really got it then because you weren't really doing it. And I was like, in the middle of saying that sentence... And then I just stopped. And I was like, you know, the mind has a lot of opinions. And actually, neither one of us knows anything. And it was really refreshing to not have to fight my opinions against somebody else's opinion with both of us thinking that we're right. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's like the most ridiculous thing imaginable. But we all do it all the time. So your opinions don't belong to you either. Because our opinions change as well, right? Yeah. So the more that we can really let go of things, like really let go of things, like deeply let go of things, the less, the less problems we have, the more peace we have. Right? We allow space. We create space. And peace can only come when we've given it space to come. Because actually, the, the natural state of the mind is a peaceful one. Actually. Yeah, the mind, and it's, it's like water, right? The natural state of water, it's still. But only when it's being, you know, there's forces. If you're touching it, it moves, right? The mind, when you just kind of relax and do nothing, eventually it stops by itself. You don't have to do anything. Meditation, it's not really so much about doing something as it is about slowly taking away the things that are disturbing the mind. It's like if you put a fly in a glass of water and it's like, and the water's kind of vibrating, right? You don't get that water to stop by like pushing the water down with your finger to get it to stop shaking. You get the water to stop by getting the fly out. You know, so the same thing with meditation. It's that if your mind is, is really busy, if your mind is stressful, then it's, it's actually not so much about doing more to it, but it's about letting things go. It's about removing the things that are making it so busy. If you're really worried about something, like what is that thing? Is that, you know, removing that worry? You know, removing the thought that happiness is somewhere else besides right here, right now. This was the other thing Thich Nhat Hanh said to me on that dinner at his house. He looked at me and he said, happiness is like instant noodle soup. And I said, oh, oh yes. And he said, yeah. He said, you don't have to wait to enjoy it. Right? You don't have to wait to enjoy it. Yeah, so think about that. So life, practice, you don't have to wait to enjoy. 
Yeah. So what does that mean? It means it's now. Every, in every moment, it's now. It can be now if you choose that, if you allow that. It can be right now. You can already connect to that if you want, if, you, if you're able, if you're you know, um, adept enough with your mind, you can connect to that whenever. It's there. So it's not about waiting. This is important. Practice isn't about waiting or striving or working. If I try really hard, then someday I'll be happy. No. You'll try really hard, and then you'll die trying really hard because you just keep doing it. And it's kind of, for me, ties a little bit back to the question of, I want to practice every day, how do I do that? You know? New Year's resolutions don't really work, right? Yeah? Why? Why? Because we do those, that's willpower. Yeah? You force yourself. I'm going to go to the gym every day. Okay, at least three times a week. Yeah, it works for like a week or two. And then, what, something else comes up, you're tired, you want to, and then you just drop it. Why? Because it was willpower. You're trying to force, push. Right? If you try to force, you try to push, it doesn't work. That's when the mind tries to escape. Like I said, I was on the Vipassana. I was meditating. I was trying to force myself, so my mind was trying to get away. It's trying to run away. If the mind is unhappy, it'll try to run away. So I'll tell you that the way to get yourself to meditate more often, it's not by forcing. It's not by writing it down on a calendar and saying, every day I'm going to do you know. The way to meditate more often is to enjoy it. Yeah. A lot of people, what do they do? They come home, what do they, they drink a beer, they watch Netflix, they, <laughs> yeah. Why? Because they enjoy it. Or people go for a walk or they play sports <clears throat> or they do whatever. Why? Because they enjoy it. People do things they enjoy. If you enjoy something, you find time for it, eventually. Yeah. So really, the way to meditate more and to bring it more into your life in that sense, it's to enjoy it. And then you want to do it. I love meditation. I don't see it as a duty. I don't meditate every day. I don't force myself. I have no rules or structure. Just when I feel it, I wake up and I feel, ah. I just sit and I smile and I just let the mind kind of deepen by itself. It's great. And when I'm done, I'm done. And that's it, you know. And that's also the way to bring it into your daily life in terms of not saying that meditation is this one thing that happens over here when I'm sitting with my eyes closed in my room breathing. And life is the thing that happens over here when I'm out running errands and doing this stuff. It, you have to see that it's the same mind. Because you'll sit in meditation and you'll think about all the stuff that's happening outside of the meditation. So it's the same mind. So the mind can help support your daily life, but your daily life has to support the meditation as well, which means you have to live your life in a way that you feel more relaxed, more happy, more appreciative, that then when you go to meditate, your mind is already in a calmer place, that when you start to meditate, it gives you like a, a, a reference point. It's almost like if there's a rock out in the ocean that you could kind of put yourself you know, on this rock to kind of get away from the waves for a little bit and rest, and then you can go back in the ocean and swim and you have your strength back. So it gives you like a place to rest and a place to kind of be and recuperate and yeah, kind of figure things out and then you can go back and then you can, mm -hmm. so it gives you like a, in Buddhism they call it a refuge actually because it's mm -hmm. like a refuge, it's a place where you can rest upon to practice to then get back into That's life. Good. Yeah. So, um, 
So it's important to know that the way that the Buddha himself taught meditation is he really made sure that, you know, people know that that feeling, feelings are important. Yeah, so a lot of times, um, a lot of meditation places I've gone to, they're very, um, they're kind of structured or conceptual or rigid or whatever. But the Buddha says very clearly, you know, that, you know, because it's you breathe, you feel your breath, you feel how the body's breathing, you feel, the, you know, and then you start to feel the peacefulness, the relaxation, you start to feel the happiness. Because when you feel good, when you feel good, your mind naturally comes in and relaxes. That actually, the feeling of relaxation, the feeling of peacefulness, the feeling of happiness, the feeling of tranquility, these feelings start to come in and they start to build on each other. And the mind's like, ooh, what's that? And it kind of starts <laughs> to sink in. And it's nice. Like when you go lie on the beach, right? You're just suddenly there. You're on the beach and you're like, ah, like, it feels so good. Why? You know, there's nothing special about sand or salt water. Right? Every time you cry, that's salt water. You know, not... But it's pleasant. There's that pleasant mix of the elements, right? There's earth, and then there's the sun. So it's like earth, fire, then there's the water, and the wind. So it's this beautiful <coughs> balance of all the elements when you're on the side of the water and the temperatures and everything. It's so pleasant, physically pleasant, that you naturally just become present. Yeah, if something's pleasant, you become present. Yeah, so it's so physically present, pleasant that your mind becomes present all by itself. And when we sit to meditate, we kind of want to create that same thing. So the way to meditate, it's really to relax and enjoy sitting there. It's like smile. It's like hard to say that to people sometimes, right? <coughs> but really just to smile and to enjoy that you're sitting there, to relax. Make some jokes if you need to. It doesn't matter. To loosen up, right? Because eventually, you know, if you think about the Dalai Lama, you think about any of the great masters I've met, they're totally happy. They're funny. They're joyful. They're not serious. There's things that they're serious about. But they're super relaxed and happy and light and buoyant. The Dalai Lama, he comes in and he jokes and he bounces around and he, you know, because then people are happy. And he's like, what else is the practice about if we're not trying to make each other happy? The practice is about happiness. The practice is about the ending of suffering, happiness, peace. That is the goal of the Buddha. That is the goal, that is the goal of religious traditions. That is the goal, to be happy. So if we're not happy, why do we think that the way to happiness is through being strict and serious? That's ridiculous. The way to happiness is through happiness. It's through relaxing, being happy. Right? So the way to meditate, it's not to try to get this thing called peace and happiness at the end of my meditation. It's to already now relax, loosen up. Ah, it feels nice to sit here. You know, what is the happiness in this moment? I'm not in that crazy busyness upstairs. Okay, I'm down here. I'm relaxed. It's like a nice group of people. It's quiet. I have some time to myself, finally, thank God. Right? And feeling that kind of peace in yourself that comes just from being in this you know, secluded, intentional space. And just breathe and feel that peace, feel that relaxation, and just let that build. Whatever we focus on, that expands, that gets bigger. Yeah, and you just sit in that, and you breathe, you relax. And slowly that energy builds and gets more and gets louder, and the mind then starts to concentrate into that and starts to deepen into that. And then that's when these states that you were talking about start to happen, is because the mind starts to gather and it doesn't want to go anywhere else. 
So it goes deeper and deeper and deeper into this presence. All of the senses withdraw. The eye consciousness, the ear consciousness, the body consciousness, they all pull back into the mind consciousness. It all gathers together into one, into the mind, because the mind is so happy. There's nothing that you want to look at. It's not about looking anymore. The mind is peaceful. There's nothing you want to hear anymore. The mind is what's peaceful. So all of the senses realize the good stuff isn't happening out there. It's happening inside. So all the senses pull back also. And it's a, then it becomes this kind of completely self-contained thing where it's just, it's like unified. The mind becomes unified. And it's like the most amazing feeling of peace you'll ever experience because the mind doesn't want to go anywhere. And there's nothing missing. So it's cooling, it's refreshing, it's just totally and deeply peaceful and contented because it doesn't want anything. And then you'll see ultimately the whole problem that we have is wanting. Because when you don't want anything, the mind can just be as it is, right? It's not broken, it's not moving, it's just complete, it's full. It's like a full circle. So with that, maybe we'll just do a 10-minute meditation together. So we just sit with our feet flat on the floor. <sighs> Take a couple deep breaths. Really, again, relax. Breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth. Yeah, and try not to take yourself too seriously. Try not to take this practice too seriously. Try to really relax on all levels. Allow yourself to smile if you want to. And as we sit and relax with our eyes closed, I brought with me a bell. So I'm just going to ring this bell a couple times. Just really relax and follow the sounds. Let the sound bring you into a deeper place. After that, then I'll guide you a little bit deeper, okay? So just relax and breathe and just listen. And we've relaxed our eyes, relax our face, our forehead, our jaw. We relax our shoulders, down our arms to our hands.
relax our chest. Down to our stomach. Relax our back, softening the muscles down into our hips. We relax our legs down to our feet. We feel the ground underneath our feet. We feel the space of the room around us. As we sit here, we breathe, feeling the air flowing in through the nose, filling the body. The air flowing out through the nose, body relaxing. As we breathe in, we feel peaceful energy coming in through the nose, filling us. And as we breathe out, we imagine our body disappearing into that peace. So breathing in, peace. Breathing out, disappearing. feeling of peace expand as you breathe, letting it merge with your smile.
yourself to enjoy. Taking some deep breaths. Really letting everything go, including the meditation itself. Breathe, relax, and be. Taking three last deep breaths in through the nose, filling the body, out through the mouth. And as we breathe, we listen again to a few sounds of the bell.
One last deep, deep breath in through the nose, filling yourself up completely. Hold your breath for one second, two seconds. Out through the mouth. Relax. We can rub our hands together until they become warm. We can rub our eyes, our face. We can rub our ears. Massage the back of our neck and shoulders. We can also rub our lower back, our legs, or really anywhere you have any pain or discomfort in your body. You can send this energy there. Open your eyes and stretch out. So that's really it right there, you know. So if nothing else, just as a takeaway, know that you have this inside of you. Yeah, and I can say, like, I'm not selling anything here. This is not like a sales pitch in any way. This is like you're getting something, yeah. So that this is inside of you. You don't need anything, yeah. Um, so to know that really the practice, it's about letting go, and really allowing yourself to feel okay, to feel content, to feel pleasant yeah, with where you are and just allowing the mind to slowly come to a rest all by itself. And it feels so good. And that's why you want to do it every day because like, the world is hard mm -hmm. and life is busy and things are scary and painful and like there's a lot going on. We need it just to be sane, you know. You don't even really rest your mind when you're sleeping or dreaming, you know. So just to give your mind a rest, even for these five minutes, it's huge. Yeah, so I guess that's all that I can say. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Very, so very lovely. Thank you. Very powerful. I have a couple. To India come August. What does a day consist of? What does it consist of? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> How about you, the trip you just had? You just took. It was busy. <laughs> yeah. The one we do in August, we're going to do some more um, sacred sites. I call it Holy Himalaya. It's one in August. Um, so I'm hoping to combine a little more like meditative activities. But you know, India, it's a very busy place. So. It might involve more maybe being able just to do prayers and do intentions and we'll visit some holy places. And, um, so it'll definitely have a, a spiritual aspect to it as well. Um, but when you go to India, you have to expect everything. So, yeah. so where do you usually stay? Like what places do you stay? Do you stay in tents? Or Guest houses. Guest houses. Yeah. So I have some cards if anybody's interested just to be in touch with mm. with me. And, and again, I'm also doing this in school, so if anybody has Thank any you very much. schools they want to take them. Yeah, and otherwise en enjoy your mm -hmm. fare. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 
Thank you. Yeah. Is that your real name? Seth. Seth. Thank you so much. Seth is my real name. Uh, monk was when I was as a monk traveling through India. My Buddhist name was Hui Chuan. It's a Vietnamese. And it was too difficult for people, so I was just Seth, but I was a monk, so I made my Facebook. Oh. <laughs> my Facebook, then I made Seth Monk, and then it just stuck. Because when I was a monk, I was still Seth, and now that I'm Seth, I'm still kind of monk, so mm -hmm. the, the, yeah, I feel like I'm spanning the two worlds a bit. So. Oh, very cool. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you, Seth. Why did you decide to go to Germany? Oh, oh. it just happened. <laughs> <laughs>